Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. There are users who create uh, quite complex color approaches, so I know that green versus blue might represent one thing, but then they use the saturation or intensity of the color to indicate how important an event is as well. So strong red means something different to both weak red and strong blue. Welcome to episode 50 of iPad Pros. I'm excited to share with you an interview I conducted with the creator and developer of Eon Timeline, Matt Tobin. Eon Timeline, you may remember, is an app that I discovered through my interview with Roger Schulman, who uses it in writing his scripts. Eon Timeline is a powerful visual timeline application for iOS and Mac. You can model not only the events of your story, but the backstory of your characters. You can capture relationships between events, characters, locations, and story arcs. You can visually group events by character, location, or story arc. You can calculate the character ages for every event. You can create your own custom fantasy calendar if your story takes place off-world. The app has packed full features for project management. It's an app that I think everyone should check out to see if you have a place for it in your work. As a reminder, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash ipadpros. To celebrate their release of episode 50, I'd really appreciate it if everyone that hasn't left a review in Apple Podcasts to head on over and to do that today. Without further ado, here's my interview with Matt. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you. Can you first introduce yourself and kind of your elevator pitch for what Eon Timeline is? My name's Matt Tobin. I'm the creator of the desktop and iPad app called Eon Timeline. It's a visual timeline tool for creative writers, project managers, historians, and legal practitioners to better plan and visualize their projects. And where did this idea for the app come from? There's a really good piece of writing software called Scrivener, which started out on the Mac. Basically, the idea came from their user forums. I was uh, flicking through their forums and several users were discussing the type of timeline software they would like to see and naively I thought I'll have a go at that. That was almost a decade ago. Not sure I would have actually done it if I realized how much work was going to be involved. (laughs) Fascinating. I'm a huge fan of Scrivener and that's kind of interesting to know the, the backstory there. So how is your app different from the other timeline apps that users saw frustration with in those Scrivener forums? I think it's really, particularly back then, the landscape changes a bit over time. A lot of the timeline tools were really focused on the visual element only. You know, They were designed to capture a fairly small number of events with limited details and turn them into a pretty display. What Eon Timeline is really about is the creative process itself. So, you know, we're trying to uh, capture a lot more data and provide the tools to group and filter that data so that get the whole captured, but at the same time, you can focus on specific subcomponents of your project as you work as well. I think that's one of the biggest differences. It's also the only tool that's designed with fiction writers in mind. In that original audience of fiction writers from the Scrivener world, how have you seen that grown through the years to include other verticals of users? The first version of the application was absolutely written around fiction writers. So terms like characters and story arcs were kind of hard baked into the application. I didn't really envisage it being used by anyone beyond the small group of fiction writers that I was aiming for at the time. As often happens with these things, someone who started using it for fiction writing went, hey, this is kind of a useful project management tool and I already own it and it's a lot cheaper than some of the uh, big enterprise software out there. So it started being used for project management and somewhere along the line it got picked up by attorneys who were you know, using it to map out complex cases and wanted to present you know, key sequences of events in court and things like that. It kind of just grew organically. And with each new version, we just try and introduce uh, a bit more flexibility with those users in mind. Fascinating. And what 
what's kind of the most complex timeline you've seen created so far? The craziest I've seen was a guy who sort of did computer forensics investigation who imported a thousand phone records into a timeline because they wanted to visualize and track when someone was misusing funds by tying it to their phone records. So that's certainly not a use case we ever had in mind and not necessarily one <laughs> courage <laughs> yeah <laughs> beyond that i think you know the biggest timelines are usually the fantasy writers you know they have their big sprawling epics with complex histories over multiple books legions of characters they're wanting to keep track of so i think they're usually the most complex ones yeah i'd love to see if someone would make a lord of the rings timeline within here just for the fun of it lord of the rings is one of those weird ones i use it as an example quite a lot to describe arcs just because, you know, people often ask, what is an arc? And I kind of use the example of Sam and Frodo going off to destroy the ring while other hobbits go off and meet their talking trees and fight some orcs. Yeah. The risk for me using that example is it betrays my complete ignorance of the storyline. <laughs> You're aware of enough. I've seen one movie and I'm aware that there's more than one. That's funny because the books, actually, I've, I've read them. It's been a while. But the Sam and Frodo story is a separate book within... They're kind of separate out. So if you read the book, you'll read all of San Frodo's story all at once and then jump to another book within that uh, Fellowship of the Ring to read the next story. The movie version actually would have been really helpful to put in Ian Timeline to kind of visualize all this. The other one, the one we sort of use in our example stuff is Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, Agatha Christie books are great for timelines because every second story tends to focus on clocks as a key element to prove or disprove who the murderer was. There's usually a nicely laid out sequence of events and times that we can use to create example timelines from. So this arc feature, this is you're tagging some plot element as pertaining to, say, the Sam and Frodo story, or how are those created? Is it mainly character-based, or what's the approach there? Arc is short for story arc. It's really just a way to group different sequences of events into kind of separate linear timelines. So Eon Timeline lets you kind of associate all of your events with particular characters, so you can group and view events for characters at a time. Arcs are a little bit separate to that. Often people might create arcs that are related to sets of characters like in the case of Sam and Frodo. In other cases they might be tying together different arcs of a story. You know, there might be the love interest that forms one part of a story and you know, a, a mystery element that forms another part. And they're kind of, you know, parallel interwoven uh, sequences of things when you kind of read the story. When you're planning it, you want to make sure that you can separate it out and view the details of each separately to make sure that they're internally coherent as well. Yeah, uh, love actually came to mind as you were talking about that description right there. <laughs> so for those that really want to get the most out of Eon Timeline, what's kind of the best process that you see for building out a full and complete timeline. The iPad app actually has some step-by-step suggestions built into an internal notifications pane. That provides a good place to start. Onboarding is always hard. As you can imagine, you kind of want to uh, have the information there, but keep it out of the way. So uh, that provides a good reference point. Generally, I think starting small and building in complexity as you need it is the best way to go. We provide lots of features with nested events and tags and all kinds of things. You're better off not thinking about that stuff immediately. If we're talking about fiction writers, if you know who your main characters are, I'd recommend creating those first. You always want to associate events with characters as you build them up. Once you've got your characters in place, just start building your timeline by adding a few key events. Eventually, it'll grow to a size where it's hard to manage in a single view, and that's when you start to look at the other things you need, split it into different story arcs or you know additional filtering techniques and nested events but keeping it simple at the start so that you kind of don't feel overwhelmed by what you're building and then just using the tools that make sense to you as you need them yeah and the goal 
is not to actually have a finished book within here, but kind of the outline and structure of the events. Is that right? Like, do people actually in the event write out a chapter within there all about that? Or is it more, I'm going to use Scrivener and use the timeline as my reference point for all my my timeline type stuff. I certainly wouldn't recommend writing a novel inside the uh, notes of each event. That's not really the aim here. Our desktop application syncs with Scrivener, so you can sort of lay out your events in the timeline and map them across to documents in Scrivener, then build your timeline. For the most part, I mean, it's a tool to help you as you develop and plan your story, and it, it can be used at the different stages along the way. Early on, you're certainly not aiming to capture everything about a book. You're just aiming to capture the key moments and make sure that there aren't any plot holes or inconsistencies. And you know, you build it up as you go along. There are some people who come at it from the other end. They've got a completed novel and they start to build a timeline at the point where they are uh, editing it. I guess you know, if you've if you've heard the analogy of uh, planners versus the pantsers, so the uh, you know the planners might be the ones who start with a timeline and have a fair idea of where their story's heading, and then move across to a scrivener or another writing app to actually produce the manuscript. After that, I guess the pantsers, the guys who like to fly by the seat of their pants, will just write and write and write, and then want to make uh, order of the chaos at the end. Those those people might kind of actually write their whole story before they then start to uh, pull what they've got into a timeline to see if it actually makes sense. Right. Make sure there's no continuity errors or anything. Yeah, continuity errors, plot holes. You've thought of all of those things from a kind of, you know, story level that, that the order makes sense, not just in a narrative order, but also in a kind of chronological order of events. And tags, how have you seen people utilize those effectively? It's actually one I typically suggest avoiding at the start mm-hmm. and sort of Sticking to the characters and arcs as a way to group events together for as long as you can. Tags are kind of something that they're useful as your timeline grows in complexity and you need to add extra layers of filtering. You kind of have, again, thinking of those big sprawling fantasy stories and things that you, you reach a point where you kind of, you know, want to have a kind of nest of tags associated with all of the events so that you can filter by different parts of your storyline and stuff or different character groups or things that don't necessarily equate to a single arc or character alone. That's when tags can be useful because, you know, you can have multiple tags associated with each character and they're just a little bit more flexible in that regard. And imagine maybe project management might have some interesting uses of that as well. While you're laying out your project according to the uh, tasks involved, you might use tags to work out which types of developers or which type of resources are needed for particular tasks. Yeah. So something I saw within the kind of setting up of information here within the app is the predecessor option when creating an event. What is that for? So predecessors represent dependencies when two events are tied together by date. I mean, project management, it's the obvious example of uh, setting up dependencies to make sure one task is finished before another starts. So you can't test a feature before you build it, for instance. Mm -hmm. You probably don't want to paint your walls before you've put the roof on your house. So it can kind of enforce the order and make sure that things happen in the right way. In fiction, it's more typically used to tie together events that have a fixed uh, offset in time. So you've got a bad guy who sets a bomb timer to go off in an hour. It's fairly important the explosion happens one hour later and as you uh, rearrange your story, you don't want to drag one event forward and suddenly your uh, bomb timer that's set to an hour goes off two hours later according to your timeline. So it really kind of helps the writer make sure they create both events at the same time rather than 
trying to remember later, hey, I said the bomb would go off an hour and I never created that second event? It's not so much about creating the events as it is making sure that they stick together in time. So if you rearrange your story and decide to shift everything forward by a year and push it back a week and uh, other things like that, rearrange the day, the one thing you want to make sure is that those two events don't inadvertently get separated as you uh, work on and concentrate on other things. So by tying the events together, it means that they move as a unit so you don't inadvertently break those connections just because you're uh, thinking about something else at the time. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense in that context of moving stuff around. So time can be a tricky thing. And one thing that we have to deal with is time zones. Do you factor in location at all when you're showing the timeline? Say there's an event that takes place in Australia, then the next events in Canada. Is there a variable within there for that? Not currently. It's on our feature list to consider and has been for quite some time. It's something that users suggest occasionally. But we also do sort of periodic user surveys to find out what are the features that uh, users want the most. And there's other features that tend to rank higher than that that we uh, are still getting to. It's on the list and we hope to get there eventually. It's one that seems to be fairly niche amongst user needs for the most part. Okay. Another thing that came up in my just brainstorming of what time things could come up is say you're writing a science fiction story and you're on a planet that has a 32 hour day. Is that possible to change how long a day actually is in the timeline? I guess longer tail, it'd be interesting to tie a 32 hour day in one planet to a different time on a different planet in some way. This is one of those can of worms that I inadvertently opened that sometimes I regret. I love my fantasy writers, so I'm glad that it's in there at the same time. So yeah, we do allow writers to create their own fantasy custom calendars with different day and year lengths, different names for months and eras. It sort of built a bit of a rod for my own back in some ways because it's it's hard to be flexible enough to suit every fantasy calendar that writers dream up. We get lots of requests for ways to expand the uh, customization of it. We've tried to put as much in there as we can while uh, being I guess, consistent enough with the maths that we can still calculate things. Yeah, that's actually really cool that that exists. Another thing I was thinking around is with ghosts and what that means in a story. And is there a best practice for how to handle a ghost? Should the ghost be a brand new character? When he dies, you create a new character you know, Chris Ghost versus just the regular Chris? There's a few ways you could approach it. And I think it depends on the context of your story. If the ghost is really just a continuation of regular life as as far as your story goes, then the death of the ghost is effectively kind of just another event along that character's arc. And so while you can set a date of death for the character, the characters can continue to be associated with events after they die. So you do it that way. Mm-hmm. If the original character and the ghost are really quite separate entities, if you consider a scenario where really the main character is only ever interacting with the ghost and not the original character before they died, then I think you'd be more likely to set it up as a separate character. Yeah, because the other thing you run into is one of the cool features of your app is age calculations. And ghosts, theoretically, in most stories, don't age. They are permanent however they died. Yeah, that's true. And that's that's one reason why you, you might create a separate character for the ghost so that you don't have the ongoing age calculations. The way Eon Timeline works otherwise is it will tell you how old is the character when an event happens or once they have died, how long is it since that character died. It can be a useful thing for particularly if you're thinking about the context of the dead body and it being moved around and uh, things in a uh, forensic kind of uh, scenario. But within the ghosts, whether it's really useful to know the ghost has been around for 50 years or not, I guess, would also drive that decision. Yeah. So uh, relationships are in stories quite a bit. Uh, You know, parents, children, all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, how is that set up within this app? Um, so we don't really model relationships between characters in the current version. It's something we're looking to introduce uh, down the track. Mm-hmm. So the relationships we have are really about the associations between events and characters or story arcs. Being a timeline app, it's kind of the focus is on the events of the story and we kind of model the relationships between those things. Each relationship has three things, the event that it's associated with an entity, so that's a character or story arc, and the role that the uh, character fills within that event. So in our fiction template, for instance, a character might be a participant or an observer in an event. And so you set those up either through the relationship view, which is a specific table-like view for editing relationships, or you can select events and edit them one by one. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'd imagine down the road you could have a family tree if you did go down the road of doing more in-depth relationship stuff. Yeah, that's another one of those things that uh, users have asked for. It's another one that we, we plan to get to eventually. And then what are some of the things you can search for within Eon Timeline? So the search currently only searches for the title in the iPad version of the app. So it's just a really useful way if you've got a you know a big sprawling timeline on a relatively small screen to uh, tap in a few keywords of, of the event and you'll get a list presented to you and you can uh, you know tap on the event you are after and scroll the timeline straight to that event you can also type in a date in the search bar and then scroll directly to that date instead of scrolling to a specific event will the date search function in i just want to see everything on april 2nd no matter the year so i can see all the april 2nds from every year no so it's just to scroll the timeline to a specific event okay gotcha and then bookmarks what are you bookmarking is it events or is it something else No, so bookmarks bookmark the dates rather than the events. So it's really just to provide a fast way to navigate between two different dates that you'll be using all the time. Imagine a story that takes place in two alternating eras. You know, it's a simple way to scroll back and forth between the 1930s era aspect of the story and then something that's happening in the modern day. And without having to type the date out each time, you can just bookmark each of those sections so that you can just scroll back and forth between them. Gotcha. And then you mentioned earlier nested events aren't something you'd recommend at the very beginning. When should people start experimenting with those? And is it easy to move an event into a nested event later down the line if they, say, want to reorganize in that way? The simplest example for nested events is to think of project management, where you can easily imagine breaking a task down into multiple subtasks, which is an important thing to capture those details when you're working on the event, but it's not necessarily important for the wider context of the overall projects. I think you tend to want to use nested events in cases where your, your timeline's getting quite complex and you don't want to have a lot of small events cluttering up your view of kind of the larger epic sort of events going on across your project. Gotcha. So if there's like a war scene coming on, there's like all these little tiny instances of, oh, I really want that character to throw the sword then or the bow to be launched then or something. Yeah, and when you're writing that particular scene, it's really important to expand out that battle sequence and zoom in and uh, see all of the specific details that go on. That might be three chapters of a 30-chapter book. When you're writing the other 27 chapters, you'd much rather tuck that away under battle scene and uh, zoom out and kind of see the broader context instead. That's where the nested events come in handy, really in situations where it's kind of detail that you know you need some of the time, but you're not going to want to look at all of the time. Yeah. It's fairly easy to kind of build that up in time, depending on whether you're a kind of a top-down or bottom-up person, you can select a number of events and group them under a new parent. Or alternatively, you can kind of start with the parent and then break it down into the sub-events as you go. Okay. 
And does the app support drag and drop in any way? There's a hidden edit mode. The the only hidden gesture we have really is the a long press on uh, screen or on any of the events will go into an edit mode. Mm-hmm. And once you're in edit mode, you can uh, drag the events around your timeline or select multiple events and edit them together. So we support sort of dragging and moving events around in that way once you uh, discover the hidden long press gesture. And with drag and drop, I know attachments are supported within this app. Are you able to drag and drop a file from like the the files app into Eon Timeline? We don't support drag and drop yet in iOS, but you can add attachments to each event basically by pulling up the files browser from within the add attachment kind of uh, link in the event. And then you'll be able to select any file out of the files browser from there. Attachments are then embedded into the timeline document, so they follow you around for each device. It's not something where you want to be embedding uh, large movie files into every event because your timeline file will grow quite quickly. People use it for things like images or web links or PDFs associated with a particular task in a project or something like that. Yeah, I can imagine some people even doing like a voice memo thing of them just rambling off some thing about that event to give more clarity than they can want to write down, I guess. I hadn't thought of that one, but that's a good idea. And then keyboard shortcuts, is that available on the iPad app? Yeah, so there's a few keyboard shortcuts for adding events and entering edit mode and undo and a few things like that. I always forget what they are too, so thankfully you can just hold down command and it shows you a nice uh, list of all of the available options. And then filters. So there's search already, which helps you filter down to just the date or the event names. But filters, uh, how do those work? Yeah, so the search is really used just to navigate in the timeline to find your place, but everything is still visible on the timeline after you search. Filters are really there to reduce the number of visible events, you know, only showing those that match certain criteria. You can combine multiple filters together using the usual Boolean logic operators, so and and or conditions. Again, another way to help the user focus on a particular element of the project they're working on at a time. So getting back to that battle scene, for instance, you might want to just filter it so that anything that isn't in that battle scene is hidden away from view so that you're not seeing or cluttering your timeline with stuff that isn't relevant to you right now. You might be looking at particular characters one after another as well. While you swap between those characters, keeping that consistent filter in place for the other things can help. Templates are something that just are really fascinating to seeing all the different options that you've built into these. What are some of those templates and how do they vary? Like what are the variables that makes a certain template for a certain thing? What what changes within the app to support that? This is uh, getting back to what you asked at the start about the different user types and the flexibility. Building these templates was a way for us to introduce that. So, you know, we have templates for fiction, project management, legal, historical users, etc. The most common thing that changes across all of them is just the terminology. In a fiction template, you're talking about characters and story arcs. Within a project management template, you're talking about projects and resources or employees. Within a legal template, you're talking about witnesses and clients and things like that. Some of it is just to get the terminology right. The different templates allow for different properties as well. So, you know, you might be interested in tracking the cost of each task if you're doing project management, but that's not going to be relevant for a fiction template. It's a few things like that, slight differences in how the calendar systems are set up, templates specifically around relative calendar systems that count forward in hours or count forward in days or weeks rather than being tied to absolute date systems. And are users able to create custom templates? 
templates, whether it's on desktop, then it syncs over to the iPad, or is there any provision for that? So the desktop application supports custom templates. Everything in a template you can change through settings. So if you go into the timeline settings and you start fiddling around and adding new types of entities or new properties, you can do that for any timeline at any time. So a custom template is really just the the settings saved out into a new file so that you can use that as a starting point for each new timeline you create. In the iPad app, we don't currently support custom templates, but if you create a timeline on the desktop with one of those custom templates, that will come straight across to the iPad. That's the thing we'll look to introduce into the iPad app down the track to be able to save those things out. And you mentioned earlier the legal template and that case lawyers are actually using them in the courtroom. What display options are there in the iPad app or does it optimize for external displays or... How do people present this information in the most clear way for, I guess, in that use case of trial lawyers? Trial lawyers usually have some limitations in what software they're allowed to run within a court and things like that as well. The desktop version of our application has a web export that will basically export the the timeline to a something that can be viewed just as a HTML file in a browser. So I think the most common way that it's been displayed in court is for people to go in and use the web export from the desktop and then present that. I think there are cases of people carrying in iPads and hooking those up through screen syncs and things like that as well. For Ian Tomlin, how do you use it? Personal projects or mapping out the application itself? What's your use of it? For a very long time, I had a day job to go along with Eon Timeline. So it's only in the last little while that uh, Eon Timeline became a a full-time occupation for me. So I actually ran a development team separately for quite a long time for another company. And I did all of my project planning for that company and that, which mapping across half a dozen projects and 15 or 20 developers and people working on projects. So that was a good way to make sure that I knew all of the pain points in the application and tried to fix them up as they came along. I haven't got rid of all of them yet. There's always more to be done. That's kind of the main use I've had for it is using it in that kind of project management context. Again, obviously, fiction writers have formed a large subset of our uh, user group as well. So I, I haven't written a novel in a very long time, but I try to make sure that I test out the idea of how things will work as I'm doing it to make sure that you know we're designing things in the right way. And I mean, you were hanging on the Scrivener form, so you have an interest a little bit at least in the art of writing and all of that as well. I certainly have an interest and one day I plan to uh, get back to it. But it turns out that having a full-time job and uh, separately developing an application like Aeon Timeline doesn't leave a lot of spare time. So we'll plan to re- address that in the next few years. Yeah. And something I noticed, color is something you're able to use to, I guess, organize events visually in that way. How are people using color to make more sense of what they're putting in there? I've tended to use color in a fairly straightforward way. Often I'll just use color to associate with a particular project or arc or perhaps a particular type of task if you're talking in the project management sense. So tasks that require one particular skill set, say it's user interface development, I'll color in one way and tasks that require a different skill set, I'll give a different color to. There are users who create uh, quite complex color approaches. So I know that green versus blue might represent one thing, but then they use the saturation or intensity of the color to indicate how important an event is as well. So strong red means something different to both weak red and strong blue. Oh, interesting. I never thought of doing it that way. And then export. You mentioned web export on the desktop. That's not on iOS. What are you able to do on iOS for export? Not a lot. That's one of those areas that I guess we kind of need to 
try to bring the iPad up to speed in the future. The iOS really is restricted to, I guess, taking your, your kind of screenshot of the view itself. The desktop application has image exports, PDF exports, and the web export. Down the track, we'll try and work out ways to bring those to the iOS app as well. There are a lot of changes to make to try and uh, squish what was a big sprawling desktop application into the small screens. That was one of the things that uh, was omitted in the uh, initial take at it. Yeah. And then something I was just thinking of, like OPML exports and just getting the text in a way that you're able to use, that's something that's not currently supported, right? Not in the iPad application, no. Again, the desktop application exports out CSV data, which you can you know, pull into Excel or import other applications. So I know you are hard at work at the next version of VN Timeline. Is there anything from that upcoming version that you're able to share for what's next? Every new version for us is about adding more flexibility. We had a, did a big user survey of fiction writers in the last year. One of the things that came out of that was the need for creating narrative timelines. Users being able to create a sequence of events laid out in a narrative order of chapters and scenes uh, that is independent of a date-based approach couple of different reasons for that. Sometimes people just, when they're planning a story, don't necessarily want to be thinking about dates of their events straight away. So letting them think about it just in a natural narrative order separate from that is a useful thing. There's also people who are wanting to map out, you know, fairly complex non-linear story arcs where the narrative order doesn't necessarily correspond with the timeline date order. That's one of the biggest new features that we'll be introducing that for fiction writers. Is that time machine needs for some of that or...? Time travel or? Just generally non-sequential storytelling when you're jumping. The example before of having different arcs set in different eras and jumping back between them, that kind of thing. Sometimes you want to not just lay it out, when does it happen in time, but think about how are those different storylines interweave together when they are set in different times. It's uh, for both of those sort of things. Okay. And then is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to before wrapping it up? Not really. I guess the other stuff that we're looking at, you know, I should make sure that I don't focus solely on the fiction writers. There's lots of new features being added for other users too. We're adding a much improved dependency system for project management, adding the ability to kind of mark particular dates and points in time along the timeline without it necessarily being a specific event. So you can have recurring events and stuff like that. There's lots and lots of things we're working on. Fiction writers are an important part of that process, but I try and make sure each time we do it that we put something in there for everyone. Fantastic. And then where can people find more information about Eon Timeline? And then you can, of course, purchase it in the App Store. Yep. So searching in the App Store for Eon Timeline. Uh, Eon spelt the old-fashioned way of A-E-O-N, so that we're at the top of alphabetic lists. It doesn't seem to be that relevant, but it sounded like a good idea at the time. Otherwise, you can also see more information on our website, which is eontimeline.com. Again, if you search for Eon Timeline, A-E-O-N, you'll uh, be able to find the website as well. Great. Thank you so much, Matt, for your time today. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of iPad Pros. You can find the show notes over at iPadPros.net. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast.gmail.com. If you email a voice memo, I'd be happy to include your audio in a future episode. I'm on Twitter at iPadProsPodcast. And as mentioned at the top of the show, if you haven't had a chance to review the show on Apple Podcasts, I highly encourage you to do so. Every review helps send signals to promote the podcast more in search and helps other people discover the show. Thank you for your time and attention today. Talk to everyone again real soon.